Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. Which makes me think that it was a guy original. Jeff. No, definitely not. He, he'll admit himself that he stole it from somewhere. Is it like a sort of, he stole it from a Christmas cracker sort of thing? Quite possibly, yeah. Did you see that there's a video this week of Kyle Walker and Fabian Delph oh, yeah. telling dad jokes to each other <laughs> for like a sort of little video that City did? Uh-huh. Uh, one of them was quite funny. It's, uh, it said, uh, oh, um, my girlfriend's left me because she said I'm obsessed with football. I'm really sad I've been with her for nearly three seasons. <laughs> 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 Tickled me. That's quite good. That's a good one, yeah. It's not as good as the Jam Factory one, but... You're getting there. You'll really get there back again. The Jam Factory one will... It's one of those watershed <laughs> moments for the podcast. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> like, it's never... Like when you saw the Aguero goal, <laughs> Yeah. it's never going to be that good no. again. We'll never see anything like this ever again. We'll never see anything. Hey, <laughs> see what you did there. Very good. Anyway, joining me in record on today's One Football podcast is Daniel Burke. Hello. Daniel Cadena Jordan. Hey. And completing the... Triple D, it's Daniel Lidroff. This has to be a record. Just <laughs> of Daniels? Of any of any name, I think, yeah. yeah I mean, it has to be. Daniels on a podcast. Like you don't get three Roberts at the same time, do you? I'm just worried how I'm going to break it all down. We'll go with Dan. No, just last names, two last names. That'll make it easy for yourself. Well, that's interesting. Maybe I might go with that. Anyway, the usual email if you want to get in touch is podcast at onefootball.com. Get all your questions in there. Or should you wish, get onto iTunes, give the pod a rating and leave a comment to let us know how you think we are doing. So thank the Lord, the international break is over and done with. But we can't let it pass without spending some time on it. And let's start with you, Jordan. Okay. And Germany. Jordan and Germany. Yeah. Uh I, I was thinking of starting with a provocative question. As Should always. I go with it? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Is Kadira still good enough for the German midfield? And part two of my provocative question. All right. Since Hummels was a fault against Spain, tends to snooze a little bit towards the end of the season. Is he still the number one centre-back? Kadira is old. I think Hummels is uh, still top-notch first-team material. He does have his slow slip-ups here and there, as it happened against Spain. Yeah. Uh, as it happened, uh, has happened numerous times, really. But uh, he's the sort of defender that, you know, scores two, three goals in a World Cup, has a solid performance, and sort of, like, picks up the pieces he leaves behind. Whereas mm-hmm. Kadira, he was really sloppy throughout the whole game. I read a stat. Um, it was 17% of pass accuracy throughout the whole game, or, or, or ball or recuperation. It was like it was like a really low number for someone in his position and of his experience of all. And you can definitely tell that the, the, the injuries have taken a toll on uh, well, on, on his quality and whatnot, I think. What a shame. Yeah, it is. Humbles, of course, brings the handsome level up by about 200% as well when he <laughs> plays. I, guess, I suppose, yeah. Yeah. It's a good thing to say. Uh, speaking of centre-backs, we were both at the game last night for Germany-Brazil. We were, we were. And... Was it me and you who had the same opinion about Rudiger? Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. So we're both we're both not fans, but yeah. other people in the office are big fans of him. Yeah, like a, someone like I don't remember who it was, but like defended him like no, he was one of the best players on the pitch. Like no, dude, he was the reason the defense was shambles. Basically, this um, person needs to be named and shamed. Whoever in the office thinks well, Rudiger. Thing is, a, I don't uh, want to mention Luis a, by first name, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but you know that's how we kind of do it. But yeah, I mean, compared to Sule, who came on later and, and actually had a decent performance. Different profile of a player too. Zul is always a bit more uh, aggressive, could go up, win the ball and just play the ball forward, whereas Rudiger is a bit more cautious. But uh, I think in a seven-game tournament, hopefully for Germany, uh, you, know, you kind of need a bit more dare, I guess. And Rudiger had nothing of that last night. 
He always looks so nervous to me. Yeah, he looks anxious. Like he hasn't made up his mind yet. Well, the ball is like we're already on his feet. <laughs> right. Whereas Sula had that great recovery tackle against. I think it was, was William. It, it might have been William. Well, Douglas Costa, I think it was. Oh, Douglas Costa. Costa that's yes. exactly who it was. Yes. He. <laughs> it was beautiful. Beautiful play. I mean, he just followed him throughout the whole pitch. Well, it was sixty-yard dash, maybe, and just tackled him right on the deadline. It was beautiful. It's a really good play. I didn't realize quite how big he is. He's, yeah, he, the guy's ginormous. He's like, I think, 195 or thereabouts. And uh, he's a solid 100 kilos at least. Yeah, like he's he's a big fella. You don't want to mess with that guy. Is he taller than you, Dan? Uh, how tall is he? 195? Uh, I don't think so, no. I think I'm about 200. <laughs> Boom. Take cool that, 200. Yeah. <laughs> wow. 200? Oh, yeah. That's a lot. <laughs> That's a lot. That's a lot of centimeters. <laughs> <laughs> Elsewhere, how well did Timo Werner do? Enough to convince Lowe he should be... Well, I mean, uh, I think Süddeutsche Zeitung put it amazingly, saying that Brazil played an A game with an A team, Germany played a C game with a B team. Uh, he did change a lot. The game definitely meant something different to everyone, uh, to both sides of the, uh, of, the, of the match. I mean, Brazil were not only keen on winning the friendly, but you could also tell that the 7-1 is kind of like, a under, like an underlaid motivation for them to like, put on a decent performance, which they did. Uh, Germany just rotated. Löw rotated a bunch, and uh, you could tell. Plattenhard had, I think, an okay game, a decent game. Uh, probably playing in his own pitch helped a lot. Uh, but overall, yeah, you definitely felt the absence of Thomas Müller. You definitely felt that there was the lack of a like a really decent proper striker. Gomez was too slow. Wagner was too sloppy. Uh, Werner was interesting when he came on, but you know, too little, too late, I guess. Uh, the Mario Gomez thing is interesting. I was saying earlier that Wagner probably ran. Within just coming onto the pitch, he probably ran more than <laughs> Gomez did in the entire game. That should really be the last time Gomez plays for Germany. I, I don't think awful. it will be, and I don't think it should be. I, I do what? think that he does have things to offer. I mean, back in 2016 in the Euro Cup, he was one of the main figures. And it was he was taunted a bit because, yeah, he had come from a great season in Turkey, but uh, no one was really sure he would be able to deliver. And he kind of did. I mean, he, a couple of goals of him were of his were really important, and uh, I think he is a good option. Wagner, on the other hand, who I'm really keen on seeing in, as a sub in Bayern, um, I just didn't understand what went wrong with him. It must have been the pressure, the nerves, or that Brazil simply just outclassed him in every single sense because he had a really bad game. Poor Wagner. I'm a big fan. Yeah, me too, but, you know, mm. it breaks your heart, I guess. It does. Uh, it, elsewhere, what a goal by Thomas Muller, by the way. That was beautiful. That must be the first time he's ever scored from outside the box. I did the research, and no. Uh, 2015, oh. he scored one for Germany outside the box, and he has, I remember, a couple of, uh, of occasions for Bayern as well, so... He, you know, he's a bit more ambivalence than we give him credit for. Oh, well, fair play, Thomas. Yeah. Um, anything else Lowe will have learned? Not pick Kevin Trapp? Might yeah, be the- that was the first point, the first item here I had. Kevin Trapp was a mess. Uh, he's definitely not Germany's third best goalkeeper. You can tell that being a sub in Paris, Paris hasn't set well. Um, as I said, Wagner was still, uh, you know, uh, he has to get there if he really wants to make it to the World Cup. He has to put a lot of, of, of elbow grease onto it. You'd imagine Leno will be the man to replace him? It might be, yeah. I don't think of, like, Tila was the third guy back in 2014, uh, if I'm not mistaken. It was, it was, um, he was back in 2016, sorry. Uh, and uh, he's not having a good season. Baumann is having a really under, a really bad season as well. Uh, I don't see another German goalkeeper up to par with, with Leno, which I th- is a phrase I never thought I'd say. But, yeah, I, I, yeah, I think it's Leno, definitely. Okay. As for England, Dan? He laughs. What will Gareth Southgate come away from these games with, except knowing not to rely on Jack Wilshere or the English fans. Yeah, I take it you mean the fans in Amsterdam on yeah. Friday. Yeah. God. 
Of all I'm, the fun things you could do in Amsterdam, they chose to do that. There's a lot of fun things to do in Amsterdam, <laughs> yeah. and it would be one of my favourite cities in Europe. Not just for the obvious reasons, but the mm. unobvious reasons too. What, what did they do? They went to watch England play. They went to watch England play on Friday and just acted like pillocks, basically. Oh, okay. yeah. I yeah. thought one of the worst things you could do was go watch England play while in Amsterdam. And you could be doing <laughs> well, well. Yeah. Very true. Yeah, I, I haven't did. heard what they I mean, they, yeah. they throw beer over people on boats and middle-aged women and sang songs about German bombers and Fenians. Well, that nice. sounds about right. Yeah. yeah Anyway, Dan, go on ahead. Uh, yeah, Jack Wilshire as well is, uh, you know, someone who shouldn't be relied upon. That, that's a little bit of a problem for England, I think, the central midfield area. Yeah. Um, I, I think it speaks volumes that perhaps people are a little bit worried that Jack Wilshire might not make the World Cup. And um, I did a, a team recently of who I think might start for England at the World Cup, and I thought Deli Alley would be the, one of the first names on the team sheet. And against uh, against Italy on Tuesday night, he didn't even get uh, get off the bench, which is interesting. So... There's a few uh, few selection mm. headaches that Southgate might have ahead of the, the tournament, I think. Who did you have in your central midfield then? Uh, Henderson, Dyer, and Ali. Um, and against Italy, he went for Dyer, uh, Oxley Chamberlain, and Lingard. That's interesting. Yeah. So Lingard, I think, could be a real threat to, to Dali Ali for, for a starting berth at England, which is uh, something I never thought I'd say. Even. With Kane in the side, you don't think he that sort of because they obviously link up quite well for mm. club, and you think recreating that on an international stage would be the sensible thing to do. Yeah, quite possibly. Yeah, um, I mean, I, st- I could still see Deli Ali playing a big role, but he's not had a very good season for Spurs. Sort of developed this uh, reputation for being a bit of a diver, um, which mm. hasn't done him any favours really. So, um, but I would imagine when the tournament rolls around. Um, Assuming he's fit, that he that he will start, but we'll see. Speaking of pos- positional predicaments, the goalkeeper, mm. any closer to solving it? A little bit, yeah. I mean, I think Pickford looks pretty good against Holland on Friday night, uh, especially with his uh, his distribution. I think he was mm. even doing Cruyff turns in his own penalty area at one point wow. in the Johan Cruyff Arena as well. Oh. How fitting is that? Um, so I think he he could potentially be the man. Um, Jack Butland played against Italy didn't seem to have the same sort of ability and calmness with the ball at his feet. Joe Hart can't play for England anymore, I don't think. He he, he sort of played himself out of out of the reckoning. You say unfortunately. can't. Never say never. Yeah, I mean, there is a possibility that Southgate might just panic when they get to Russia and, and play Joe Hart as a, as a kind of experienced uh, international, but I just it's, it's a disaster waiting to happen. And English managers have this history of actually playing nice... Uh, interesting formations and teams before big tournaments, but yeah. then literally shitting the first bed. First sign of basically. trouble. Yeah. yeah, yeah. First sign of trouble. It okay. goes wrong. But, but yeah, it looks like there's a bit of t- tactical flexibility now. So, which is leads us to that three man back line, which mm. was Maguire, Stones, and Walker against Holland. Yeah, yeah. Which was an interesting experiment. I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, Stones is good on the ball. Um, I think even the Italy game, he, he sort of lost the ball early on and looked a little bit shaky, but but he was always asking for the ball afterwards. He's pretty confident. Kyle Walker uh, is quite a versatile player. You know, obviously he usually plays right back at club level, but he has played centre-back before and he showed in these two games that he can, that he's confident doing that. Um, Harry Maguire, again, looks a good player, good on the Ooh. ball. Against Italy, it was James Tarkovsky of Burnley who played instead. Um, and he looks reasonably good as well, despite the fact he gave a penalty away. Um, very unfortunately, I thought um, he was called Tchaikovsky by uh, who was it on commentary? <laughs> Glenn Hoddle. Was he really? <laughs> yeah, 
the Nutcracker Suite. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then obviously you've got Kieran Trippier, who, uh, who who plays as this sort of uh, the wing back. Uh, Ashley Young played as a, a wing back as well. Yeah. Um, so there's there's a few options for England there. I think it's it's looking good. The this uh, experiment with three at the back, inspired by Pep Guardiola, or a chat yeah. with Pep Guardiola. It yeah. seems yeah. it's uh, pound shop Pep, isn't it? I think really, but but yeah, it's, <laughs> that, that's that's the one. The one. I mean, I'm I'm not a huge um, supporter of the England national team. Um, I was sort of not looking forward to having to watch these two games for the for the purposes of uh, of this podcast. You're a trooper. <laughs> yeah, but I actually, particularly the Italy game, I actually found it quite enjoyable, and I think it is good. I mean, England aren't going to win the World Cup. There's there's no doubt in my mind about that. Well, you say that, but I saw a poll on the mirror yesterday and 6% of people had voted to say that England would win the World Cup. 6%? Yeah. Well. Love to see the Brexit, England will win the World Cup cross-section. <laughs> it's just a circle. <laughs> the diagram on that one. Yeah. Um, but you enjoyed it? I did, yeah. I'm enjoying, incredible. I'm enjoying the way that England is sort of moving forward. Um, and I think, you know, this World Cup will come too soon for them, but who knows, maybe the next one. They might have cultivated a, a style of play by then and have some good young players coming through and they might have a chance of, of doing something there. You also wanted to talk about Raheem Sterling. Uh, yeah, always. Who had some interesting things to say before the Italy game. Yeah, I mean, it's. I found it interesting what he was saying about um, the way that he thinks the English uh, media and the fans need to be a bit more positive towards the team and, and get behind the team a bit more because that's never really been a problem with, with English football. If anything, it's that they get behind the team a little bit too much and a little bit too positive and, and hype things up. And I think the fact that people are perhaps a little bit pessimistic or, or just a little bit cool going into this tournament about English chances could actually serve them well, take the pressure off. Mm-hmm. Um, and I could see them you know, getting out of the group reasonably comfortably and, and maybe even getting as far as the semi-final if if people don't get too carried away with things. So it was interesting that wow. Sterling said that. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I mean, he's also been talking, he was excellent against Italy, by the way, and, and to a lesser extent against Holland. Um, probably England's best player against Italy, I think, and linked up well with Vardy and, and with Lingard and that front three looks quite uh, quite promising. Um, and I think he's had a really good season for, for Man City this season, Sterling. And I would like to think that this is going to be his sort of coming of age for England on, on the international stage this summer and time for him to prove a, a few people wrong because he, he gets a lot of flack in the press in England yeah. and from you know every away ground he goes to, he gets booed and Idiots. some of the treatment towards him has been really horrible as well. Mm. So it'd be great to see him really turn it on for England, score a few goals and, and win a few people over this summer. Well, I couldn't agree anymore. Um, one final question any outsiders do enough to convince Southgate because there's no real major games now before between now and the World Cup no I mean not really I mean I think the interesting thing about the the team that he picked for Holland was that all of the players that started that game played for clubs that made it to the last 16 of the Champions League so Ooh. there's a bit of pedigree there I mean there's a nice few stuff. a few players who um who were on the fringes who might have a look in. James Tovkovsky is one of them. Lewis Cook came off the bench against Italy uh, and his granddad won uh, £17,000. What? Uh, He put a bet on uh, four years ago, uh, £500, um, 33 to 1, that his grandson would play for England before he was 26. And he came off the bench and his granddad got a cool 17 grand. I wonder what he's spending it on. (laughs) Uh, final thing, Jamie Vardy played 22 minutes against Holland. How many touches did he have? None. None. <laughs> None. None. But he did uh, have None. a touch against Italy that found its way into the back of the net. So, Which is good finish. finish. Indeed, yeah. it was a really good finish, yeah. Danny, yeah. let's talk about France. Because we didn't talk about them much last week mm-hmm. when we were doing our um, our roundup. Griezmann, Mbappe, Dembele, Pogba, Kante, Umtiti, Varane. Yet they can't even beat Colombia despite being 2-0 up. 
Yeah, and at home too. Yeah. Uh, I, I think it was actually the first time Colombia have ever beaten France, so that's probably not a good sign for such a such a talented team. But no, I think it's this issue that that I've uh, come back to a few times and uh, come come to a few times in the past, where you can have a, a very talented squad, and they clearly do. The, the impressive thing there is the depth of talent. So I think they could. You know, we were talking about it in the office the other day. They could easily feel two different sides at the World Cup, and both mm. sides would do quite well. But you can only have 11 players on the pitch at any given time. And in these tournaments, yeah, there is an element of depth that's important, but it's really about the, the quality on the pitch. And I think if you uh, go through the squad and look at the key players and the players who are likely to start, um, there's really, you know, Pogba, who hasn't had his best season, Conte, who hasn't been as good as, as, as he was the year before, Griezmann, who scored quite a few goals, but... Uh, also hasn't ha- had a great season. Uh, there, there's Mbappe, Dembele, Martial, who have all struggled at various points for their clubs. And so it's a lot of these talented players, and then not even getting into the back four, which I think is their biggest worry. Lots of these talented players who are going to be playing, who are not necessarily uh, in top, top form. Um, and, and so there's a lot of hype around France, and I think there's some real concern there. Oh, you, thought, you don't think the hype is, is worth it? No, I, I think we have to see how they do. I mean, uh, I think the biggest question isn't even necessarily the squad and the form of the players. It's it's the manager. Um, I think a lot of French fans feel that way as well, that mm-hmm. it's a, a manager who hasn't necessarily proven that he's capable of taking so many talented players and putting them in the right places. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting it you mentioned that because I was talking to one of our French colleagues the other day who said that Deschamps knows his best players but there's an issue with the way he sees football. He sees it as a very limited defensive midfielder uh, that he was so it's hard for him to value say talent over team efforts and that's why we'll never see Mbappe, Dembele and Martial together in a big game. Yeah, I think he has a certain conservative streak but I, I, I don't think it's a, a problem unique to him. I think Lots of managers, even very top ones. I mean, you look at Jose Mourinho now at, at Man United, really struggle when they have too many quality attacking pieces. Mm. Uh, and, and I think it, it takes a really, really special kind of manager, probably one with a certain attacking mentality and understanding of how teams attack and the different approaches they can take to be able to fit all the pieces in correctly. And uh, yeah, Deschamps has definitely shown, shown uh, no signs that he can do that. It reminds me a bit of Dunga in Brazil sort of molded in his image. Yeah, his, uh, his hard-headed mentality into Brazilian football, which used to be associated with this really festive, really uh, likable mm-hmm. bunch of guys that played an amazing, talented football. And then came Dunga and just made it really, I think opaque would be the, the, the best word to describe it. It's just <clears throat> really dark box where nothing really happened, yet somehow they did get results out of pure quality in their, in their, in their squad. Mm-hmm. Up front then, that's where I think is one of the most interesting parts for this French side. We won't see Mbappe, Dembele, Martial together. I think that's pretty much a given in a big game, let's say. Uh, so how will France line up up front? I think the most likely scenario, and I was just verifying this with some of the French guys at the office, is that uh, Griezmann plays on one side, Giroud plays uh, through the middle, and then uh, Mbappe is is on the other side. Um no, and it's not. Don't say I, I this think to from me. from from a neutral perspective, it's not. You know, we want to see free reign with Tom Lamar and Dembele and everyone. You know, showing their skill. But I think uh, uh, Deschamps likes Giroud a lot. He's given him something in the past. He knows exactly what he's getting from him. 
Um, and there are reasons why it does make sense, even if uh, it's not necessarily what we'd like to see. Yeah, I know what you're getting from Giroud, and I don't like it. Yeah. As for the, did you want to mention their backline a bit? Yeah, I just think there, there there's some question marks there. I mean, uh, the, the 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 I think they have an issue at left back if if Mendy can't prove himself fit. Uh, I think Umtiti has clearly. Uh, been very strong but uh, Varane hasn't had as good a season Sidibe on the right hasn't had as good a season um, and then if any of them are injured and you guys will remember at the Euros like seven different French centre-backs got injured before mm-hmm. the tournament um, the the replacements aren't aren't exactly convincing and it can go from looking like a sort of lights out you know world-class starting 11 to a bit of a shaky one pretty quickly I think any update on Mendy? Um, he's back in training, but I think it's going to be about another three weeks, a month at least. Yeah. Yeah. Cutting it close, dude. To be back to full yeah. fitness, and it's yeah, it's a long injury. If whether he can be relied on to then go and play seven mm. games, yeah, as they're hoping to do, I think remains to be seen. Daniel, as for Brazil, Russia didn't put up much of a chance, but we watched him. Like we said, we watched him in action last night in Berlin. I was quite impressed by them. Their shape, they managed to squeeze together and there was no space for Germany to attack into. It was one of the most impressive things I, I saw about them last night. Yeah, I mean, TTIP preserved a bit of the of the grit they had earned. They had won with uh, Dunga, as we were speaking recently. Uh, and uh, he added back something important, a component, which is something you don't necessarily see on the pitch. But that is vital that it is there, which is the uh, the fact that the team is finally a team, cohesive. It's just not this whole drama surrounding Neymar only, which always will be drama whether or not he makes it to the World Cup. But uh, you do see a team that is motivated and understood after the, the 7-1 defeat and the subsequent uh, 3-0 against the Netherlands for the third place in the World Cup that they have to step up their game. They did that throughout the qualifications. They gave Dung a second, uh, a second chance. He didn't uh, provide during the qualifications. In comes Tietje. And uh, he's been extraordinary. Brazil had one of the best qualifying rounds in history. Um, and yeah, as you said, they're a team that's really keen now on uh, on, press, on pressing the rivals into really tight spaces where they know they can beat them one-to-one, which is what happened with Wagner, for instance, Yeah, that he ended up being on occasion in situations where he was just one-on-one against defenders where he had no chance of... Do you know what the first thing I noticed was last night? How bloody beautiful the Brazil kid is. Isn't it? <laughs> the yellow, the blue, and yeah, the white. Really I've never seen Brazil live before. All of a sudden... It's my first time too, yeah. Oh, God, it was just so strikingly beautiful. Yeah, it's it's really flashy, and uh, they did play a bit with of that. They played a bit with that razzmatazz, and you could really tell they were keen on doing it. Also, something really important that that stood out was how good they are in counters. I mean, yes. they're just pure utter speed. And with William, with Douglas Costa, whoever they're playing, Neymar when he, when he's fit, you just know that there's no no stopping them. I mean, it's it's a really promising team, and I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing what they can do in the World Cup. And finally, to Argentina, Dan. Mm. I didn't have time to watch their game against Italy, so I was forced to watch the highlights. The highlights started at the 44th minute, yeah. so they can't have been that good a game. But those goals were good. They were decent. Mm-hmm. But Spain, ouch. Yeah. One of the Argentinian papers described the result as a punch in the face. <laughs> Another said, without Messi, the Argentinian team simply don't measure up against the true heavyweights. One paper even called it a catastrophe. <laughs> I think they might have to redefine their term catastrophe. But... 
yeah, what to make of it all? Yeah, well, it was the joint's worst defeat in the history of the Argentine national team. Oh, wow. Uh, they lost to Czechoslovakia in 1958, 6-1, and they lost to Bolivia in 2010, 6-1 as well. So That's right, yeah. In, uh, when Maradona was manager, famously. Yeah, weirdly um, enough. So, yeah, it was, at, it was very, very poor. Um, they weren't great in the second half. Uh, Sam Pauli actually said, I think, that they were incredible in the first half, which I found incredible, to be honest, because <laughs> yeah. they weren't. Um, and, and the second half, they were they were dreadful. And um, and I think they were lucky to escape with 6-1 in the end, really. Oh, I think Spain, eased, Spain made it six with 15 minutes to go, and I think they just eased off on the, on the last 15 minutes, and it could, it could have been a lot worse. They were really defensively poor, um, just chasing shadows all over the pitch, really. And Spain were very good. It's important to point that out as well. Okay. I mean, the defence is obviously the big talking point, but mm-hmm. there's also the up front. Mm-hmm. They've got Iguain or Acardi or Aguero or this new kid on the block, Lautaro Martinez. Mm. Who's heading to Inter yeah, who? in summer. Yeah. Oh, is he? Oh, very good. Yeah, well, yeah. it's a well long done, story, but yeah. Well done, Inter. <laughs> uh, you imagine he'd only pick one of those? Yeah, I mean, Higuain is uh, a player who isn't very well liked in Argentina, I don't think. Um he kind of he got recalled to the squad for this uh, round of fixtures for the first time in about a year I think mm-hmm. it was um, and he was sort of talking in his, his press conference leading up to the game about how you've got to look at my record I'm one of the highest scorers you've ever played for Real Madrid and Juventus and Napoli and all this kind of thing and mm-hmm. um, he just doesn't really do it at international level but then there's a lot of players like that you know Messi doesn't really do it in, until quite recently at international level Sergio Aguero certainly doesn't do it at international level so you know Lautaro Martinez has got a good chance of, of establishing Establishing himself over the next few months, heading into the World Cup as, as potentially their their prime striker, because nobody else has really sort of grabbed the opportunity when it's come along. And and Iguain uh, these, these past couple of games wasn't great either. So okay, yeah. All right, should we talk some MLS? Sure. Okay. Now, we're a few weeks into the MLS season, which means it's time to talk about the early pace setters. In the Eastern Conference, it's New York City FC, but out West, it's only bloody Los Angeles FC. Two games, two wins. What I wanted to know, Danny, is whether it is worth dropping my Atlanta alliance from last season and shacking up with LA, my new love. But then bloody Zlatan only went and trumped trumped them, didn't he? Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, if you're the kind of person who just jumps onto whatever is hot, not suggesting you are, but then <laughs> oh, no, totally. you, you, you might want to head uh, head west because that's 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 where things are looking pretty hot. Okay, we'll, we'll come back to my my bed club jumping in, yeah. in a while, but Zlatan's there. Got a good deal, bad deal. Yeah, I think it's an odd it's, deal. It's, I no, find it's, it's it's interesting because I think on on the one hand. Um, as I've talked about quite a bit on the podcast, I think MLS is definitely going away from the retirement league approach mm. and towards signing younger, talented players uh, for the future. Uh, and, and Zlatan is clearly, well, he's old, he's expensive, he's definitely past his prime and he's coming off major uh, knee injury that he he hasn't been able to recover from yet completely. Um, so there's that side of it. On the other side, it's fucking Zlatan. There's no other way to put that. I mean, from a from just a presence perspective, from a narrative perspective, from from marketing, from football. I mean, I think he showed last season at Man United that he does still have it, and uh, some of the qualities that he has um, 
aren't necessarily going to decrease so much with with age. So um, we'll see. I think for LA, it's a it's a it's definitely a bit of a risk, but the potential upside is so high, and given the position that they're in not being a very good team at the moment, I think it's a risk that they had to take. It's interesting you mentioned marketing. Are they? Is there a, a sense that they're signing him to gazump their cross-city rivals now because you know, they've got off to a good start, etc.? I, I don't think that was the intention. I think this is something that's been in the pipeline for quite a while. But um, with the, the first ever um, LA derby between these two sides coming mm. up, I think it does sort of give off that vibe a little bit. Um, and it's certainly stoked the, the tension a little between the two teams. Will he be ready for the derby? So Siggy Schmidt, the LA Galaxy manager, said he will quite possibly be prepared to play a part, um, which is interesting because I haven't seen him anywhere near the Man United team for months. So. For, yeah, for quite <laughs> some time. Yeah. Okay, um, that's probably enough about Zlatan. Um, never enough about Zlatan. Do you know, he's he took a 95% pay cut to go to... Oh yeah, right. Ninety-five percent. Yeah. So that's the other thing. I think I think it's worth mentioning because I wouldn't take that. It's I don't know if it's quite. That might be right. I don't know if it's. That's what I heard. It's, anyway. it's yeah. exactly right. But for sure, he's taken not very much money. I mean, he's on like a sort of regular-ish MLS. A, a measly thirty thousand dollars a week. Yeah, which, which no, but <laughs> that, I, I, I think that. I think that's an interesting point to make actually because it shows that he's he's going there and he's motivated to do something else whether that's go to the beach in LA or actually perform mm. on the pitch. If he wanted to just go somewhere and hang out and make money, he could have easily gone to, I don't know, anywhere in the world, China, Middle East, wherever. Mm-hmm. Even elsewhere in Europe, he would have made a ton more money. Um, but he, he hasn't done that. He's specifically chosen MLS. He's specifically chosen LA. Uh, and so I think there's really something to that. He'll be hanging out in Noma with Trizzy. Probably, yeah. Um, so the big LA derby this weekend... That's quite a good one, no? Because it's all going very right for LA. Yeah, absolutely. Wait, what should I call them? Should I call them LAFC? I, I LA? Think, I think it's. I think it has to be LAFC because LA already existed before. Right, okay. So. Well, let's go with uh, LAFC then. A lot's going right for them, basically. Yeah, everything's going right. Um, on the pitch, off the pitch. They they just made a big signing uh, a couple of days ago, the, the uh, Benfica midfielder, Andre Orta, which is a huge signing because he's a 21-year-old who's one of the most promising talents in Portugal and to be able to convince a, a European player, a young, talented European player who's playing, you know, at a Champions League level to come to um, to LA for a new project is incredible. I think it speaks to how well they've done so far in the direction that they're going in. Mm-hmm. Will they win? Will they win the derby? Yeah. Yeah, I think they just might, actually. Ooh. Yeah. Right. Depends if Zlatan plays or not. Depends if Zlatan plays. Further up the coast, they'll be sleepless in Seattle. Yeah, I think you use that pun every single time you mention <laughs> Do I really? <laughs> this is, might be the fourth time I've heard it. Oh, boy. Anyway. This is Nirvana. Well, <laughs> see what you did there. Uh, anyway, they'll be sleepless, blah, 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 worrying about this Sounders form. Although they don't need to worry about Clint Dempsey's ability to get sent off. No, yeah, he managed to do it the other day. Strong. He's still there. Yeah, you can still do it. He's still strong with that one. Uh, yeah, it's not going very well for them. And it's not going very well for Toronto either. Yeah, both of them, both finalists from the past two seasons uh, are yet to, to win a game, yet to even draw a game. Um, both sitting bottom of their respective tables. They've played a, a, a game fewer than, than some teams. But um, I think it's actually two different cases. I think with t- Toronto, uh, they've gotten better. They're still reasonably young. It's players in their primes. 
they've maybe been a bit distracted with the CONCACAF Champions mm-hmm. League and everything. They're, they're in the, the, the semifinals there. Uh, so I think they'll come good. With Seattle, I think it's a different story. I think they're getting older. I'm not convinced they actually got better um, in the offseason. Uh, the, the one thing that is in their favor is that they started pretty badly both of the last two seasons and then just had an incredible second half of the season in mm-hmm. both cases and stormed stormed through to the final. But um, I, I really think they're going to have a lot of difficulty getting back there this year. I mean, you mentioned the CONCACAF Champions League semifinals. It contains not one, but two MLS sides in the aforementioned Toronto and New York Red Bulls. Yeah, so it really... That's quite a I, thing. I, I think it's a huge thing and it's it's made a lot of buzz in, in America and North America as a whole for... Uh, those of us who aren't familiar with the CONCACAF Champions League, it's uh, dominated by Mexican teams. Mm. So I think the last uh, US team to win, it might have been DC United in the early 2000s or something like that. Uh, so to have two teams in the semifinals and two teams with a, a real chance of of actually winning the thing, I think shows how much MLS is closing the gap on the Mexican teams, uh, who, who are still better. I don't think anyone would argue with that They. Uh, Mexico is a very strong league, but but the top American teams are really really getting there. Of the two sides, who would you see is more likely to progress and potentially win? Yeah, Toronto, just just a better overall team. But um, I, I wouldn't count New York Red Bulls out. I think they they put a lot of emphasis on that. They were really resting players in the league, mm. uh, which isn't something that um, MLS teams have done too often in the past. Uh, to try and I think the prestige, the 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 chance to go to the the Club World Cup is a real attraction, um, and of course, yeah, yeah, it would be it would be great to see at least an MLS team in the final. Okay, uh, we've got a minute or two more. I've picked out two teams I'm interested in. One of which is Orlando, and one of which is Houston Dynamo. Okay, which one would you like to talk about? Uh, we can talk about Orlando, I guess. I mean, I suppose they they were one of the teams that I picked in the preview mm. uh, that I thought would do quite well this season they they haven't they haven't started very well but uh they're really wrecked with injuries and suspensions and all sorts of things i I was reading through their injury list it's as long as the iliad yeah no i think it's it's as extensive as uh, any team in in mls at any point that i can remember so yeah they're probably missing i don't know uh, at least half their starting 11 Mm. Uh, and I think once they get everyone back, get into a rhythm and figure out all these new pieces because they've made a lot of new signings, uh, they will they will be a very decent team. Okay, finally, I'll get my... Yeah, I just about time to have, get my Houston Dynamo question in. Uh, I have a feeling with that attack that has already destroyed my previous love of Atlanta, <laughs> they could be one of the teams to watch this season. Uh, yeah, I'm not so convinced. So they, oh. they beat Atlanta on opening day. Yeah, um, five if, one. If, if you're looking for a new team... You know, because you like to hop teams, I, I wouldn't suggest uh, Houston. Yeah, they, they beat Atlanta, but uh, since then they lost uh, to Vancouver away and then conceded two goals against DC United, and no, no. nobody who does that can be any good. So they, um, yeah, I, I just can't see them in the long haul. The thing they have in their advantage is that the West where they play is is very weak, uh, as we've spoken about. So they, they could make it to the playoffs and do okay, but in terms of actually competing with the best teams from the East, they're never going to do Okay, well, maybe I'll just stick with my LAFC then. Go for it. They've got a nice jersey. Yeah. Okay, that's all from us today. My thanks to Dan, Danny, Daniel, and producer Philip standing in for producer Demo. For the last time? For the last time. Back to our normal environs next week. And thanks to you for listening. (laughs) 